Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're thankful. You've been good to us. We'd like to stand before you approved as individual believers and as a body. We'll be pursuing the things the way your son would have us pursue them, the way your apostles have taught us, your prophets have laid out for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was talking to Al the other night. We were hair dye widows, I guess it's called. The, uh, the, the missuses were up playing beauty shop in my second floor, and so Al and I were cursed to sit in my library and smoke cigars, and so we were talking, as is our wont, of the things of God. And I don't know what brought it up, but Jeremiah 23 came up as a application of what we were talking about, and I said, boy, I love this passage. And so I still remember that I loved it this morning. And I hadn't preached on it in seven years, so that's why in the main we're in Jeremiah 23. The other reason we're in Jeremiah 23 is both Leslie and I have noticed this problem in Christian circles. Talked about it with each other. It's mostly, I want you to know this is not so that we're going to make a change in Christianity or we're going to stop this from being the case or we're out there to turn the, create a revival. This doesn't happen. This is description. The prophet is describing what you do with, it, that, with that description. What do you do with it is, is a separate question. Now, I didn't want to start as early in the potential text. You could start in a number of places all the way back to 23 um, verse 1. Um, but I wanted to give you some background. We're going to start with 23-23, but the background in the chapter, <coughs> here on the left-hand side I have the first verse from the chapter. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. So basically, there's going to be something about the people that lead the people of God. The prophets, the shepherds, the damage they do and why they do it. In verse 16, also right below there, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to perceive and to hear his word? Or who has given heed to his word and listened? That's a loaded bit of analysis. There are people who stand in the role of the prophets. Old Testament here, Jeremiah's, you know, 600 B.C. We're many years later. But you can spot in Christian circles, religious circles, doesn't have to just be Christian, it can be all sorts of religious ideas. 
people who stand forward to be listened to, and they have a means by which they will get listened to. One of them is filling you with vain hopes. In other words, telling you what you want to hear. And it talks to people, the kind of people who, uh, in this, in this way, despise the word of the Lord. When they despise the word, that basically it's not saying, I, oh, this is the Bible, I hate it. Not that kind of despising. It's the kind of thing that they, they, they show they're not interested. By their lack of attention to the word of God, they show they're not interested. They're the kind of people who stubbornly follow their own hearts. And we talked a bit about this last week with Romans 8, where it said, you know, the idea of uh, the heart that is, the mind that is set on the flesh is death, mind set on the spirit is life. The kind of people who set, the kind of categories that we don't realize are part of the flesh. How we set our minds on the flesh. It ends up being, when it's set on the flesh, a service to your urges. So someone who is told, and, and you can spot very successful ministry. You can also chalk this sermon up to sour grapes. Okay, because, look, look, there's maybe, I don't know, almost 40 people here. You can say, Evan, you're always preaching about the big groups. You just, it's a kind of jealousy. It's kind of, uh, what's it, René Girard, a mimetic device, a mimetic urge. The urge of envy. Okay, maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. But is this true? Are the groups, many of them that are successful, there are some big successful churches that are preaching the word of God. Just because they're big doesn't mean they're bad. But some of the big ones, you watch them on TV, and you go, these are people who stubbornly follow their own hearts. They haven't been in the counsel of the Lord. Now, this circumstance of refusing to be in the Lord's counsel in a way that, look at the words that's used, to perceive and to hear his word, given heed to his word and listen. Okay, every, every sort of angle, every sort of word you can use to describe, pay attention to the mouth of God. Pay attention to what God has said Perceive, hear, heed, listen. Why is there still room? Is this not amazing enough for us? Why is there still room for silly? If you're a member of Facebook, you've probably had various silly Christian quotes cross your horizon. I, I am surprised that the people who like those things do not put a bullet in their head. Why should they go on living? I, I, what made the was one that came up the other last night Leslie was looking at her Facebook account. I won't tell you what it was cause it was not wrong it was just so predictable it was just so right up along the lines of what people love to hear you say oh like 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 I'll just shoot yourself for heaven's sake this is 
This is a situation where God has not sent. The next passage, which I still haven't gotten to what we're covering, there is this tendency, you know it on Facebook, it's always going to be a soft focus picture of a tree in a, in a meadow. Um, or maybe a towering thundercloud with, you know, the Lord and somehow. There's an unction. People will make all this nonsense that is based on our vanity, our decisions, our wants, make it sound like religion. They'll put the name of Jesus in it. Verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they'd stood at my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. This is the distinction between the path that is coming across from the prophets who are not prophesying, but claiming. The truth of God changes people from the gospel on up. What God has said, what God's understanding is in the word of God, changes who you are. You stop sinning. You confess those sins you've done. You understand your world as God understands it. And like his Christ, you do not sin. Because as Christ did not sin, because he understood the desires of God, you have come to understand them. But this, what's going on with this nonsense that people get all this religion and then their lives, most of the week, are not being changed from the evil way. They have not been turned from it. Okay, that's the background. That took you from verse 1, through you can read this on your own when you find that Bible that you hid away in your place for next week. 22 verses, we're up to 20, verse 23, and 23 through the end of the chapter. Now this is a, a passage that uh, was beaten into me as a, as a, as a child, but some of us who back in our young adult days we worked for community Christian ministries and worked in the bookstores and we had a magazine called The Hammer da, 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 da. not The Hammer and Sickle it was like a communist thing it was, it was a, an aggressive little magazine and I was the printer I ran the press I drew some of the pictures um, and it was based on a passage out of Jeremiah 23 the Jeremiah 23 Oh, twenty-nine. Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer which breaks the rock in pieces? That was my dad's idea of a good time. He liked, uh, he loved that verse. He wanted the word of God to be like a hammer to break the rock in pieces, and so that's what he named his magazine. So this passage has sort of been, you know, floating around in the. In, you might say, in my personal cloud. Is that what you young people call it nowadays? Yeah, you don't actually remember things, but you have a cloud to remember it for you. Inside my head, this passage is there. But it's a great passage in what it's teaching. We'd like to just say, oh yeah, his word is like a hammer. I really feel that. I really feel like he's, you know, breaking me apart and... 
I can say all sorts of nonsense that we say, but the text, the context, starts with verse 23, and it was another famous verse. Am I a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? I want you to stop for a moment before we go any further. Does that sound backwards to you? You know, in other words, yeah, well, wouldn't we be more natural to say, am I a God afar off and not a God at hand, like he's promising to be with us, like present? He's actually saying the reverse. He says, hey, don't just think of me as present, but think of me as far off. That, I mean, it's just like, that doesn't fit our desire to be nurtured because Jesus wants to nurture us. But what's he communicating when he says the backwards thing? Verse 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Now, once you realize that he is not a God at hand and not a God far off, needs to be corrected in us is because most people seem to believe that. They have a place where God gets put. It's church. It's their parents' home. You can see this with the average student that goes away from a Christian home for their first year of college. Or maybe their second. Their first year of college, they decide they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be a good Christian student. Second year, not so much. It's so easy to believe that the church you grew up in and the parents you grew up in, if they're not present, that was at hand. Your God is not God. The truths you believe are not the truths that are. Our God fills heaven and earth. Our God is above all things, and no matter where I go, the principles of God are still true. No matter where you would move. Say you graduate. Go off to a completely new area. No one knows you. Is your God still God? Yes, your God is still God. And if your religion... hasn't been discovering the God of heaven and earth, the principles might not carry over for you. Now what he says here is a warning to those who have means of pretending a degree of religion. Why would we listen to prophets who tell us what we want to hear? Why do we bother with prophets at all? Why don't you just be honest and say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I don't need Jesus' stamp on it. I don't need, I'm already planning to do what I want to do. Why would I want to have a prophet tell me that it's God's will for me? Why would I want a, a pastor that preaches exactly, we're covering this in Wine, Wisdom, and Song last Friday night, about uh, something, some subject, and some subject that liberal minds today in theology are just death on. And they're always saying that St. Paul was too affected by his culture. And the point was really, the only person we know that's too affected by their culture is the person speaking. 
because he is only trying to change the doctrine of the Bible to fit today, his acceptance today. What are people going to think of him if he holds a strict or conservative view about this? He wants to change it. And we want to change things. We want the imprimatur of God, the United Laboratories sticker on our life that says, yes, you're a good Christian. See, you go to church. And we'd like to have the guy stand up front and give you the platitudes of the age with the name of Jesus tied to it. I don't care what the trend is. You're trying to get a religion that will make everything you want to do, even the good things you want to do, approved by the church. It's a poser. It's a pretentiousness. It's a... And how do we do this? How do we do this? Let's look at the next verse. I have heard the prophets, verse 25, what the prophets have said who prophesy in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Well, how do they do this? How do I mean, how do, how is, you've heard me speak of epistemology and other circumstances where how do you know what you know is true? It's the study of knowing epistemology. A lot of people don't have a clue. They think because they think they're reasoning. No. Just because it is forming up inside the gray matter and it's coming out your mouth does not mean it's reason. It's thought, but it's not reason. So people have to have, if they're going to be saying things that are nonsensical or appeal to what your urges are in the religious world, they've got to have a source. They've got to have to say, I've dreamed. What would you say? I mean, I've, I grew up with this, and I grew up with good churches. I mean, it's not, this is not limited to bad churches, but you'll begin to hear it. I hope you'll begin to hear it. I hope you'll spot it when it's happening. I told you how Alan Lai's conversation led to this passage, and that was the reason I wanted to look at it. Another might say, the Lord really laid on my heart. You ever hear that? The Lord laid on my heart. Oh, who, who can disagree with that? Doesn't everyone want the Lord to lay things on our hearts? For heaven's sake, heaven, quit objecting to such nice things. But he doesn't know if the Lord did. He's going to tell you what he wants to tell you. He's going to dress it up in an I have dreamed, I have dreamed. So that you'll go, oh, I did not know he was so spiritual. Evan had that laid on his heart by the Lord. You say, Evan, are you trying to say the Lord would never lay something on someone's heart? No. 
just saying that they would never know enough about it to claim it. Unless you're a prophet of God who has met the tests of the prophets, you do not, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You do not play with who God is. You do not play with whether or not God has spoken. You especially do not play as if God had spoken. So you could tell a bunch of religious people who are looking for their religious bona fides getting stamped this week to make them think something more spiritual has happened and it is not the word of God. Because in epistemology, revelation is a legitimate means of knowing. Okay? Revelation, I'm not just saying like Christian. That when we have a witness on a, uh, in a courtroom testifying to what they have seen, that is revelatory knowledge. We say we believe them as a witness because they have reason to know the facts of the case. The more of those witnesses you have, the more people saw the event, the more sure you are. And the reason we believe God is because he made everything and he has reason to know everything. So I, I, just because I believe a witness on the witness stand, he might be, you know, a, a, a drug dealer. So I don't believe him on spiritual things. I believe him on what he would have reason to know. I listen to a doctor, my coat. I always like that one, Prevagen woman standing there with her arms crossed, she's got a white coat on. She looks, she's, she's maybe 45, 50. Uh, very intelligent looking, very smug, very proud of herself. She's, our doctors have said, little actor portrayal, tells you it's an actor pretending to be a doctor. Ever see that commercial if you're old enough? I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And yet people go, okay, all right, white coat. We know revelation. We know, oh, dreams are important. Oh, we know, yeah, if God spoke in his ear and laid on his heart, laid on his heart, what does that mean? It means you're supposed to believe what I tell you. Because God wanted him to preach the sermon. I think this sermon bears, uh, you know, it's worth your consideration because it's in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet of the living God. And it doesn't matter whether Evan had it laid on his heart, because tomorrow Jeremiah will still be a prophet of the living God. And if you just stumbled across Jeremiah 23 in your private reading, he would be a prophet of the living God. And it doesn't need Evan getting it laid on his heart. When we do this, the reason we do this, I, I can, all the authority I have is the authority of the Word of God. I have no church authority. I don't have any funny hat. I don't have any um, bells and whistles or mystical smells that you might smell or the, the choir of small you know, boys up here singing something soft and my Mozart to make you feel religious. Is it true? Is it from God? 
Have I structured, not, we're, we're worried about the shepherds, right? We're worried about the prophets, but we're going to come around to our responsibility in that. We want to be sure that the Christians are going, yeah, I observed the same thing, Jeremiah, you and I, we're together on this. We can make this, it could be clear to us. It can be a right description. And if it's a right description, we know what to avoid. Now, oddly enough, if you have a right description of a certain kind of snake, you don't have to be told ever about avoiding it. Oh, what do I do? He's very deadly, very poisonous. There he is. That meets the description. Now what? Until somebody tells me what to do, I won't know what to do. No, the description is enough for the people who want to know the Word of God. So verse 28, he leads up to that one I quoted earlier. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. He's just, he's just cast a guy, castigated these guys for saying, I have a dream, I have a dream. He said, okay, fine, tell your dream. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. No problem. Again, I'm not, we're not trying to stop Joel Osteen from being a pastor. That's a different, that's a different set of requirements. How could you get enough power? And some people just can't. Once they realize how bad it is, they, um, they can't stop until they you know, put, the, put it out, you know, make, it, make it quit. Oh, just know that it's there. No. Let, let, him, let him prophesy, sure. And preach the word. Let him who has the word of God, preach it faithfully. And him who has his dream, tell about his dream. You bet. I'd love to stack St. Paul in the book of Romans up against anybody who is saying anything on Facebook at any time. Because the word of God, what has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord. Yeah, cattle eat the straw. We eat the wheat. That's where the food is. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer which breaks the rock in pieces? We have to recognize, and maybe some people don't because they don't read their Bibles. I was talking to a young man the other day who was just realizing that he doesn't read the Bible anymore. It wasn't like, it wasn't like oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. It was like, oh, I just realized I don't read the Bible anymore. Reads everything else. Why wouldn't you read the Bible? Some people, some people have a view of this because they're ignorant of what's in it that you know, you'd read a passage like Jeremiah 23 and I don't know how people could read through Jeremiah 23 without going, oh my heavens, that it, this is 2,600 years old and it's like preaching to the right now. How could we not be people of the Word? 
And you, some of you don't know my father. I know him too well. But he was telling me the other day, I get a lot of fellowship in because I have to go over and take care of him. Uh, and that time, at fellowship time, he relates things that's going on in his ministry. And he says, I've, I've just noticed that in the last 10, 15 years, people, Christians, have stopped being even aware of what's in the Bible. They don't read it. They don't study it. They study books by someone else, by some famous Bible teacher, whether their theology or not, or just some devotional thing, or they, they go to a church that's all very excited because they want someone who has dreamed, who has dreamed. It says, my, my word's like the wheat, that's like the straw. Why would you be picking the straw instead of the wheat? Don't you realize, part of it is, because a hammer, what it does. You know, once you say, I'm going to believe God, I'm going to believe what he said to me about me, and if he told me I'm wrong, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to make it right, because it's he who's in charge of things. Well, that hammer initially comes into your life and just, it's a wrecking ball. Got a lot of things to correct. After a while, you don't have to correct as many things, but you keep going through that over and over. You learn about what the mind of God is for you. Therefore, verse 30, Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the... I was in a prophetic meeting one time back in Ann Arbor. I was in high school. And I heard these people were prophesying. It was a charismatic thing. And they were prophesying in King James English. Now why were you prophesying? Why does God still speak King James English? Or is it... No, because that's God words, right? Ever notice that in a, in a Baptist church? People who talk normally get up to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thy kingdom, and it almost is just these and thous and thine and and the rest. Why? Because those are, those are God's words. And so we're going to steal God's words to make our words sound like they're important. Stealing terminology, stealing certain cadences does not make it the word of God. God is against those. I, I, I made that bold, right? Behold, red, I am against. Verse 31, behold in red, I am against. Verse 32, Behold, in red, I am against. Are you against those? I don't want to say, you said, Evan, you shouldn't have said something bad about Joel Osteen earlier. Why, you want some other names? I'll give you some other names. Because God is against them. I don't know if Joel Osteen's a believer. You'd think he would need to be. But I don't know if he is or not. But he says, Pap! He says the kind of crap everybody wants to hear from Zig Ziglar to whatever, some health and wealth, get, get, have God work out things in your life. I have a really big smile, saying you're an idiot. But it's just what you want to hear. Jesus has plans for you. 
You can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. God's against them. Behold, I am against. Now, you might not have the same list I have, and I'm not requiring that you have a view of Mr. Austin. But I've listened to that man. Feel free to listen to him yourself. God is willing to be against, and he wants you to be aware that he's against. It's a behold. Look at me. God's saying, look at me while I am against something. Christianity, Judaism, the truth of God, the kingdom, are not all about what we affirm. It's also about what we deny. This is not of God. Behold, I am against the prophets, verse 31, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, says the Lord. We had a guy, I may have revelated this before, Doug and I were coming out of a classroom, this was back in the early 80s, um, and a, a young Christian came up to us and prophesied against us in the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, you shall not speak against this other ministry that we are resisting, or God will destroy everything that you have done. Thus saith the Lord, he said. So Doug got out a piece of paper, wrote down quickly what he had said, and said, would you please sign this? I want to be sure that, you know, you went on record as prophesying of the Lord, that we, our ministries were going to be destroyed for resisting this group. It was Maranatha Ministries, I don't remember that, it was a wacky group out of Gainesville, Florida that had come to Moscow and we were resisting them because they were wacky. They collapsed shortly after. But uh, in other words, the prophecy did work, but for the wrong group. Um, the, guy, the guy went, oh, yeah, okay, I, um, okay I, I just really feel from the Lord that, that strongly that this, but you said, thus saith the Lord. Yeah, but you know, he finally backed away down to it was just his opinion. What a damnable thing to do. To speak in the name of God when it's your opinion. It might be your very strongly held opinion. You might even be right. Why do we put God's name on things? Verse 32, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, says the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. I like that word. Recklessness. Because it's not just wickedness. You could say lies and their wickedness. And yeah, yeah, we're on board. Yeah, it's against the recklessness. That's what, exactly what it is. These are people who have got into the religion world. And they've decided to start throwing the name of God around as if it didn't matter. You ever find yourself worried about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I've, I've, I've fielded, I don't know, a lot of questions from people. I mean, do you know what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? Because uh, I had a few too many beers last night and I may have said something. I mean, people go, you go, yeah, where are you tracking that you would actually be in danger of blaspheming the Holy Ghost? I'd be more concerned. But this is blasphemy. 
They're reckless. They don't know they're doing it Sunday after Sunday. It's not somebody six sheets to the wind who spoke a little too freely about the Holy Spirit. It's a pastor standing in his pulpit being reckless. When I did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all, says the Lord. No profit. No change in people's lives. Okay? Go to church. Everybody coming in. Genuflect to the front. Sign of the cross to the Eucharist. Sing some hymns. I don't know what you do. Yeah, real churches. I don't know what real churches do. Makes you feel really religious. Yeah, people do religious things all the time. You ever notice a lot of people doing religious things all the time and Moscow is not changed. A lot of people give it, I don't know what up for Lent. But it's not doing any favors to the kingdom of God. It's no profit. Well, why would we have that kind of religion? That's very simple. Yes, there's no profit, but get, get, catch a clue here. There's also no cost. These aren't the people who are changing their lives for God or anybody. They get to go be pretentious at church. Why do we accept a religion that does not profit us? It echoes in our ear ourself. You ever wonder why people get depressed? What's in it for them? You feel miserable, right? Why would you do something like that? I, I don't struggle with depression, but why would someone, someone who is, has struggled, why, do I, why am I depressed? What do I get out of this? You get to think about you. That's what you get out of it. It gets to be all about you. And even if it's misery, it's about you. And you are wonderful. You get to have a church that's about you. You have a church that is exactly what you just heard in your sociology class is echoed five years later in your church. Do you know, six years ago, our liberal democratic president was against gay marriage. And now we have churches, churches, not liberal ones, emergent ones, in favor six years later. Doesn't take long. When you're, when you're preaching what people want to hear because it, it, it confirms whatever the other forces in their life are trying to do. That's the prophet. You get to have a religion that matches exactly what you want to be doing. I had to warn myself about this. Leslie and I were driving, we were running these errands, finding, you know, sour gummy worms <coughs> yesterday, and we were talking about this. Um, we were talking about, you know, you've got to watch it because in the midst of it, you don't always see it in yourself. You see it, you very see it in. Joel Osteen, but you don't see it in Evan Wilson. Well, how much of... Evan has to concern himself with how much of what he believes the religion of Jesus Christ is. How much of that 
is merely because he likes being who he is. You know? Is it just sort of reflecting some sort of, you know, caricature of what Evan likes? You have to ask yourself that, because you're not, you're, Joel Osteen is not your pastor. Evan Wilson is your pastor. And here he is talking tranquility and peace. What is that? What, what, futility. You say, well, we're just describing Evan. Right? Futility. You bet. He sits around. He wears his, who was it that complimented my clothing today? Is it Bethany? I look mossy. Yeah, it was Bethany. It looks different than my black slides. You didn't notice? Some people notice. Some people are kind enough. Okay, brown slacks, brown jacket. This is Christianity, folks. Don't doubt me on this. I have dreamed. But, well, you have to watch out for that. And you don't assume that Evan's not guilty when Joel Osteen is. You don't want your Christianity you have got so few Sundays in your life and you're going to come to this tiny little church in Moscow, Idaho and pick up what he thinks and think because it's a small church where he has Bible verses that you've got to compare. This is the word of God. You need to, you need to say, okay, is that what the word of God says? Let's compare the word of God to it. Everyone needs to answer whether or not they've profited the people. Everyone needs to answer, is that the Lord's spoken? When one, verse 33, of this people, or a prophet, or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? Because that sounds just like right out of every conversation I've had. You know, I had this burden from the Lord. I didn't do you, really? You shut the heck up. Really? A burden from the Lord, you say. And they, they walk up to you, you know, uh, and, and they ask you as a prophet. Jeremiah is a prophet. And so somebody's going to come, either a, you know, a church member or, you know, Israelite, a priest. Well, tell me, Jeremiah, what's the burden? Nobody sees the word of God as word of God. They think everything is this burden. Everything is this dream. Like, well, really, who, who knows what's true? The word of God is true. The dreams are people's own, opinion, own opinions. And so when they ask you what the burden of the Lord is, you shall say to them, you are the burden. Oh, man. Already, he's, already he told us to behold, I am against. We know we're supposed to coexist, right? I saw that on the bumper sticker somewhere. At least coexist with other people who claim to be you know, part of the kingdom of God. But God sometimes is against some people. Not everybody. It's not everybody who makes a mistake. You go out and thrash. But this is a biblical reason. People who let the authority of God's word slip into the subjectivism that everybody would like it to be. Because the subjectivism allows them to have their religion, their way. You were the burden, and I will cast you off, says the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, not only will you get a smart aleck remark from Jeremiah, but 
I will punish that man and his household. God doesn't seem to be, this is the word of the Lord. This is the prophecy. This is what God has spoken. This is not what Jeremiah is feeling a burden about or had a dream about. God told him this. And he is saying, I will punish you if you think this way. If you say this. If you try to subtract from my revelation of myself. God sent his son, sent prophets, gave his authority to his apostles, and they wrote a dang book. And we don't have the time to read it. We just want to read somebody who writes a book with a soft-focused picture on the cover that talks about you and brokenness and relationships. I don't know, something. I don't even care if there's good stuff in it. That's where we've gone. We've gone to... Can I be inspired to live by my, my urges, the what I really want to have happen? Everybody affirming each other about what they think. You're just being a burden is what you're being. And God's going to punish you and your household. Don't think it's not going to happen. You can't. I was reading C.S. Lewis's uh, Preface to Paradise Lost a couple weeks back, and he says, you know, even after a poison becomes fashionable, it'll still kill you. Doesn't matter how fashionable it gets, it'll still kill you. You can't pick up the world's philosophy, put the name of God on it, and put the church surrounding it, and have it work. It'll still kill you. Don't think the judgment of God will not come home. Thus shall you say, Everyone, this is verse 35, to his neighbor and everyone to his brother. That means everybody. What has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? You know how those annoying people who say, you got a verse for that? Or chapter and verse. Have you heard that one? You know, sometimes it's a little bit, you know, annoying. Because I don't remember where it is. Where does the Lord say this? Did God say this? What has the Lord said? Not what do you feel like he said. Because as soon as you say what do you feel like he said, you've made God in your image and he has the same feelings about life you do. But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more. For the burden in red, the burden is every man's own work. Just count on it, folks. You needed to have God guiding how you felt about something. So your how you felt about something would be believed by more people. So how you felt about something, the way you wanted it to be, people go, oh, and it's religious too. You pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Hmm. We don't want to make an enemy of God out of this. God is up against these people. Some of it's the prophets, some of it's the pastors. But we all want it for that reason. We want this religion that 
costs nothing, when it profits us nothing, but it costs us nothing. And then we wonder, well, Paul, I've been religious my whole life, how come things didn't work out? Why am I a mess? God's been against you. Your own word and a perversion of the living God's words. And we do that all sorts of ways. This is not just an on-off switch. This is a gradient shift. You can see people who just slightly begin to, for the sake of getting their way in the situation, take a proof text and, and move it. And apply it where it doesn't apply. Do you want to know what God said? You read the Bible, all of it. You interpret the Bible in light of all of it. You want to know what God has thought in history. What God's expression to you, a man and a woman in Christ, needs to be. And you need to find it. If you find initially that things aren't working out because God is against you, You've run your Christian life this way. You believe people not on the word of God, but on how well it fit, and they said it was a burden. Um, things are not going to work out. You're going to have a greater need. You're going to go to more and more people. You're going to get books at the bookstore that are self-help books. Someone helping yourself believe what yourself has already said to yourself. You'll be told bigger lies. You will make bigger protestations of religion. You will do more insane things. You will end up you know, bobbing over a rosary in downtown Byzantium chanting the Jesus prayer because you'll be looking for something to do that will make you absolutely enough religious. Why didn't we just believe the Bible? Why didn't we believe the word of God when it came to the prophets? Why did we believe people who told us lies? Thus you shall say to the prophet, verse 37, what has the Lord answered you, or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord. You get an opinion? Have you walking away from this passage? He has a dim view of this procedure. You claiming something that you want or thought up or feel has got the name of God attached to it. If you say this, if this word comes up to you again, when I told you, when I sent to you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord, therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city which gave to you, I gave to you and your fathers. I'm going to Take everything away from you. See that's the, in, in, the, in the apocalypse also. If you keep doing this, I'm going to take your lampstand away as a church. It's like you're going to be despised, you and the horse you rode in on. Everything about what you think you're going to be so religious into your old age, if it's this kind of religion, if it isn't the pursuit of the mind of God, what does God want of us? Not what is the church designing through a bunch of soft-focused 
claims about God's guidance. I really feel it's the will. Some guy was, I was reading some pastor, um, a big, uh, it's the church that Trisha Yearwood goes to, I think, if that means anything, if Trisha Yearwood is somebody, I don't know. Big Memphis, I think, church, a big uh, evangelical church. The pastor really had prayed a lot about it. He really feels God leading him to include homosexuals, married and otherwise, not just in the church, but into church leadership and the pastoring. Because he really feels that God wants, says this is the time. Oh, does he? Does he really feel that? And again, we're only describing it. I can't change that guy's opinion. I can't write an outraged letter. Who am I? I'm not in charge. But those of you who are listening, you recognize the description. You know it's true. You suspect there's an awful lot of things that we've allowed to just be in Christianity because we're more comfortable with it because it's what we wanted to have there. God will cast us away from his presence. Religious posing isn't going to stop. It's always been there. You don't want to read church history, really. I don't recommend it. You will not be edified. Christians have never behaved well, and especially the really important and famous ones. You don't want to find out. You want to know what the Lord said. You can spend your time reading the front to back the Bible and all of the sins in it, of the famous people in it. God wants you to know about their sin. He wants you to know what David did. He wants you to know the doubts that Job had. He wants you to know that Jonah was a rat bastard. He wants you to know because he wants you to know his will. He's not just trying to make life easy for you. He wants to set you free from yourself and draw you to him. You're being reconciled to God. Otherwise, I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. you go through life, you will speak with a lot more confidence. You ever know that? You've never noticed that even if you're a shy person, once you're on your subject matter, you can speak with a lot more authority than you otherwise would feel. Someone gives you an assignment, tell me about your views of the Trinity. I don't know about my views of the Trinity. I don't know a thing about the Trinity. Get up there and stammer and don't know what to say. But they ask Al to speak on computer networks and Al will have us riveted. He will have diagrams, a pointer probably, because he knows computers. He's a priest. Become priests of God, not priests of your own will, not priests of the will of the church, not priests of the will of whatever you're going through Christendom. And when you get older, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna remember the various periods of the church in your own experience when a certain wave of nonsense went through the church. Everybody was trying to have a church 
that made it sound like God really wanted this. God really wanted that. Know the word of God. It'll give you confidence. Versus playing this religion and having God set his face against you and say, you know, the shame that you collect, it's not going to be forgotten. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We're looking forward to getting to know Jeremiah. It's remarkable how clear this is to our modern minds. How natural this temptation is. How pervasive, how almost universal. Lord, we want to be the kind of Christians that are always looking to find whether or not you have spoken. And if you have spoken, do we understand what you have said? That we have not twisted your words, we have bowed the knee before your words. And Lord, help us recognize those that are just playing at religion. Keep us away from them. Keep our lives from picking up those patterns. This we ask in your Son's name. Amen.